guys to another episode of Rabbit Hole Happy Hour. Episode 9. Oh my god, it's episode 9. I'm Mallory. And I'm Ashley. What a crazy week it's been. <laughs> Mallory, tell us about it. Well, <laughs> I don't know all of it, but um, I, the world knows what's going on in Ukraine. I've been literally obsessed with it, like watching live streams of Kiev and like, like, I don't even know why I'm doing that because I don't want to see it. I mean, like as soon as anything starts happening, I would probably just turn it off, but because it's so sad. It's just so bizarre to see war on social media, like yeah, it's never happened like this before. I it mean, it feels like war is so outdated, like a almost like a prehistoric concept. So it's yeah. it's weird to see it on TikTok. Plus, it's all for nothing. Yeah, like literally for nothing. So it's it's crazy. And I was I was watching the UN Security Council thing yesterday, and I was so pissed because the president of the council is from Russia, and he's a permanent member. And they were trying to do a vote. It was like a vote to like basically condemn Russia's actions. But permanent members can veto the entire vote. And literally almost everybody, a couple abstained from voting entirely, like China, big surprise. But almost everybody was voting for it. And then stupid Russia raised his hand to vote against it. Only one, by the way. And because he's a permanent member, it went through or he, oh it, he vetoed it. So, and, um, everybody got to like, say their like piece about what they thought was happening and where the stance of that country was. And he just lied straight up. Like he was like, everything that you're seeing on social media is fake. And we didn't bomb a hospital. We didn't bomb a kindergarten. We are not attacking civilians when there's literally like video evidence of all of that. Crazy. <laughs> like, oh. It's nuts. But anyways, now they're like trying to just keep them from taking the capital city, which Ukraine, by the way, they're like fucking badasses. Mm-hmm. Have you seen anything about the president? No, I haven't. He is staying in the city, the capital city. He's like posting regular videos like outside saying, I'm still here. I'm with all our soldiers. I'm going to be here. I'm not leaving. The U.S. offered to rescue him, basically. Mm-hmm. He said, no, I I need ammo. I don't need a ride. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And the army, the Ukrainian army is also like really unexpectedly, well, to the Russians, unexpectedly like resisting and I saw something today where I don't know who it was, but they said that Putin was like actually really angry because he thought it was going to be an easy like in and out thing. And Ukraine's like actually putting up a really good fight. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So anyway. So, so does he just want to take yeah, Ukraine? He just wants That's it. Really it? Oh. The, he's saying it's because they're Nazis. And uh, I don't know what the other part of it was, but it what was makes stupid. Nazis. I don't, he's saying that they're led by, like their government is Nazis. The president is a Jew, by the way, of Mm -hmm. Ukraine. Okay, that makes sense then. So (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't really make any sense at all. So I don't know, but it's really sad. And I can't even imagine having to flee my home to Um, go somewhere else. What's the deal with the sunflower thing, the seeds? 
Oh, so there was like a grandmother, or they're saying she's a grandmother, she's an old lady, who basically yelled at a Russian soldier. I saw that video, but I didn't understand what was going on. I didn't, I actually didn't see the video. Uh-huh. So I just heard that she basically yelled at him to leave, or, or not leave, but put sunflower seeds. It's the national flower of mm-hmm. Ukraine. And so that when he died, f- flowers would sprout. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Oh my God. My heart goes out to you guys in Ukraine. Yeah. Sorry. Same here. Ugh, it's craziness. It's hard not to feel totally useless. Like I know. Just get to sit here and watch it on the sidelines. Not get to, but it just. It just. Uh, I don't know. So, doom and gloom aside, what's been going on in your life? <laughs> uh, a bunch of doom and gloom. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's not been the best of times lately, but I'm here to brighten your day with a very depressing story. Oh, good. <laughs> Thanks. Um, so our story tonight is set in the French Quarter of New Orleans, Louisiana. New Orleans was the inspiration for our cocktail tonight. Yes. It's one of my favorites, and it's my go-to whenever we go anywhere fancy. It's called the Vu Carré which means old square or old quarter. And yes, it's French. And yes, you're supposed to pronounce it like that. That's because (laughs) it was created in New Orleans. So that's how they say it. It was first mixed in the 1930s in the famous carousel bar in Hotel Monteleone. The bar is a literal carousel, which sounds terrible, but it's not that bad because it (laughs) makes an entire rotation every 15 minutes. So it does actually spin. What the hell? Yes, but very, very slowly. So it's not going to make anyone throw up. So the Vucare is a very boozy drink consisting of rye whiskey, cognac, sweet vermouth, Benedictine, and two types of bitters, pechodes and angostura. So I think we should definitely be sticking to one drink tonight, maybe. Mm -hmm. I don't want to go off the rails too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Although I've already <laughs> drank like half of mine. Oh, nice. Well, I oh, think well. you can have two a night. Maybe I'll just stick to one. <laughs> you do have to do reporting. Yes, I do. Something super coincidental. I picked this story like two weeks ago, not even thinking that it would be uploaded the day after Mardi Gras. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, so weird. So um, happy Mardi Gras, everyone, because it happened yesterday. (laughs) Have you ever been to New Orleans? No, I've never been. I haven't either. I've always wanted to take a short trip. I kind of romanticize it as like this very spooky, jazzy. Yeah, um, I do too. Place with like lots of history and culture. But then you hear stories about the streets just being covered in vomit and like tourists walking around with those really tall like plastic hand grenade cups which oh my god is not the vibe (laughs) yeah i have heard it's kind of dirty yeah it also has the highest murder one of the highest murder rates in the country oh shit so um my story certainly will put the seedy side of new orleans under a microscope so Mm. get ready for it i'm ready This is the story of Zach Bowen and Addie Hall, a young couple living and working as bartenders in New Orleans. Their relationship was somewhat short, but extremely volatile. Untreated mental illness and excessive partying do not make for a harmonious situation. Their relationship began weeks before evacuation orders were in place for Hurricane Katrina. The two decided to stay behind and endure the storm together 
And that's when their romance truly blossomed. Oh, man. About a year later, though, their once harmonious love story would become unsustainable and would come to a gruesome and disturbing end. Oh, shit. On October 17th, 2006, a man was found dead on the roof of a parking garage at the Omni Royal Orleans Hotel. Because of the dog tags found in his pocket, police were able to quickly identify the body as that of Zach Bowen. Along with the dog tags, they discover a note in his back pocket. On the outside, it read, for police only. As you can imagine, the police were probably anticipating a suicide note, as it was clear that Zach had jumped the 70 feet off the building to his death from the rooftop bar. Mm -hmm. They were not expecting to find what they did. What was in it? (laughs) So the note read... This is not accidental. I had to take my own life to pay for the one I took. If you send a patrol car to 826 North Rampart, you will find the dismembered corpse of my girlfriend Addie in the oven, on the stove, and in the fridge, along with full documentation on the both of us and a full signed confession from myself. The keys in my right front pocket are for the gates. Call Leo Watermeyer to let you in. Signed, Zach Bowen. Oh my God. Mm-hmm. So they were expecting, you know, just a common suicide note. Yeah. Instead, it's a, hey, go find this dismembered corpse. Yeah. It Surprise. Was, to them, it was like an open and shut case. And then they yeah. read that note and like one, like one of the police read it out loud and they started laughing because they thought he was kidding. And so they had to like all read the note just to, because it was unbelievable. <sighs> they had never seen anything like this in their careers. Oh my God. So now that you know how Zach and Addie's story ends, let's go back to the very beginning. Zach Bowen was born May 15th, 1978 in Bakersfield, California to his parents, Jack and Lori Bowen. In 1990, Zach, his parents, and his older brother, Jed, moved to Washington State. It's around this time that Jack and Lori divorce. Jack was described as immature and was still living out his party days, and Lori wasn't getting the support she needed. After the split, Lori took the boys and moved to Santa Maria, California. Zach was well-liked and described as a laid-back, nice guy, albeit awkward due to his extreme height. He was really into music, he played guitar and drums, and was a big metal fan. Oh. (laughs) Zach flew under the radar in high school. He made pretty good grades. That is until his confidence was rattled after not winning Homecoming King. Are you serious? Mm -hmm. Oh my God. Ruined his life? (laughs) Yeah. Which is so like weird to me. I can't wrap my head around it. I certainly wasn't Homecoming Queen and it didn't derail. (laughs) Well, he was nominated and he like got up and gave this speech and he was humiliated. He felt humiliated because the laughs he told didn't hit. No one really like Uh, got it. And so he just uh kind of felt like an outcast at that point. Oh my God. Which still not a big deal. I know. (sighs) I mean, I understand hormones are raging when you're that age, but... (laughs) But this is a moment in his life that his family points to as a turning point for Zach. It was as if that event caused him to become self-conscious, and he felt like he didn't belong. After that incident, Zach's grades began to slip, and he decided to drop out of high school and move back to Washington with his father for a fresh start. Being the uber-responsible father that Jack was... He took this as an opportunity to take his underage son on a road trip across country where they stopped at all the popular party spots. Oh, cool. (laughs) Oh, my God. (laughs) I'm not a regular dad. I'm a cool dad. (laughs) 
So wait, how old? So did he drop out like senior year? Yeah, or? senior year. Okay. So he was probably 17. Okay. So they drove up from Fort Lauderdale, made a stop in Savannah, Georgia, and wound up staying in New Orleans. Zach decides to give high school another shot and enrolls to finish out his senior year, but he wasn't feeling it, so he dropped out yet again. At this point, he's 18, has gained a bit more confidence, and has come into his own. He starts to get a lot of attention from both women and men when when he goes out at night in New Orleans. Being 6'10", Are you serious? He's taller than fucking Keith Jesperson. Oh my God. (laughs) Sorry guys, you're going to have to listen to last episode if you're going to want to know about Keith Jesperson. How how tall is he? 6'8", I think. Okay. Yeah. So being 6'10", Zach was hard to miss. This made him the perfect fit for the French Quarter bar scene. He got a job on Bourbon Street selling go cups, which are basically like to-go drinks that people could order from a bar window. And take along Bourbon Street. Oh, yeah. So you can, having never been there, but you can walk around in New Orleans with your alcohol. and Yeah. Hence those big plastic neon grenade cups that you see people walking with. Yeah. So one night that summer in 1996, a woman named Lana Shupak found herself at Zach's bar window. Lana was 28, 10 years older than Zach. She was an exotic dancer and in town for a short trip with her girlfriends. Lana was like, he cute. <laughs> and the two of them hit he off. Cute. <laughs> Ooh. They ended up going on a date three days later, and Lana and Zach spent the rest of her trip together. When she went back home to Texas, Zach called her nonstop, begging Lana to come back to New Orleans. Oh, damn. She and... left a mark on him. Yep. And she did. What? She came back. It wasn't out of the ordinary for Lana to pick up and move. She was a businesswoman, after all, and would often (laughs) travel around the country hitting strip club after strip club wherever she could make some good money. She kind of just followed whatever festivals were in town and just took that opportunity to make some extra cashish. (laughs) (laughs) Cashish. You mean cash, right? Yeah. Okay. She rented a temporary apartment and planned to pick up a few nights a week at a nearby strip club in order to spend time with Zach. They were inseparable. By the end of that year, Zach had a confession to make. Uh-oh. He told Lana that he was only 18. So she didn't know? She didn't know. She didn't know? Like, how do you not know? Oh my god. Maybe because he was 6'10". Yeah, maybe because he was 6'10". She says because she figured he was at least... 21 since he was working in the bars well yeah that's true well i guess you can serve though like usually when you're dating you're like when's your birthday like how old are you normal questions they are and so wait how long were they dating a few months a few months and it hadn't come up yet okay so he confesses that he is only 18 years old and she's shocked and she is angry. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. 10 years. That's a that's a huge age gap. Like 18 to 28, that's completely different. Like I know. Completely different things going on in your life. Yes, it is. Um, so Lana began to distance herself from Zach. But not too long after that, Lana was confronted with another surprise. Uh-oh. She was pregnant. Oh my god. I knew you were gonna say that. She made the decision that she wanted to go through with the pregnancy, but she kept it a secret from Zach. (laughs) Haha, you didn't tell me how old you were, so I'm not going to tell you that I'm fucking pregnant. (laughs) 
When she finally told him, he was reluctantly open to being a parent. But Lana kept Zach at a distance. She didn't even let him know when she went into labor on July 13th, 1997. God, damn. A friend of Zach and Lana's ended up telling Zach two weeks later that their son Jackson was born, and he rushed right over to meet him. Oh my God, two weeks. I can't imagine. That's crazy. He immediately became attached. As soon as he held his baby boy, he knew he wanted to be a dad, and he was like willing to do anything to take care of his family at that point. Yeah. Lana and Zach's relationship started to strengthen, and not too long after that, they got a place together. Soon after that, Zach proposed and began working several bar jobs to support Lana and Jackson. The couple married in Jackson Square, a popular tourist destination with dozens of onlookers. But just before the wedding, Lana found out she was pregnant again. Holy shit. (laughs) Somebody's fertile. On June 12th, 1999, their daughter, Lily, was born. The pressure of supporting his family was getting intense. He knew he needed to make something out of himself in order to support his family and be the best parent and husband he could be. But that meant he had to make a big change. He couldn't be out all night working and partying in the bars. Zach decided to get his GED and enlisted in the army for an eight-year term. The main selling point was the health insurance and the opportunity to attend college. Lana was proud of Zach for stepping up to support them. Now that she was a mother, she was adamant about quitting dancing. So she was still dancing up until her second pregnancy? <laughs> Just thinking about her pregnancy. <laughs> I, I'm not sure, but like that was her that was her main source of income. Okay. So I don't I'm know. I'm sure she <laughs> I don't think she was dancing while pregnant. Maybe in the early stages. Maybe in the early stages. I know, yeah. <laughs> oh my god. The baby sloshing around know. everywhere. You never know. I'm sure Claremont Lounge That's had a true. similar vibe as New Orleans. Yep. They probably had like a 50-year-old that was pregnant. Oh my God. <laughs> In early June of 2000, Zach left for basic training. And from there, he was transferred to a base in Gießen, Germany. Lana would often send intimate photos of herself to Zach. Ooh. Nudes. <laughs> like pictures of her and her girlfriends at the bar stripping and stuff so i guess she was still stripping at that point yeah of course he would share the love with his buddies which would make me upset i would unleash hell yeah on january 10th 2001 zach was deployed to kosovo during his time there zach saw and went through some difficult things one morning, Zach handed a few pieces of candy to a young Albanian girl. She reminded him of his daughter. The next day, he found out that she was executed by the Serbs <gasps> for simply interacting with an American. Oh! Which was him. My God. No. So that would this, ruin ruin you for right. life. Um, home, not getting homecoming king is... <laughs> Like, you know, pales in uh, comparison. Yeah, I'm sure he forgot all about that at that point, you know. That's fucked up. So this obviously deeply affected Zach. Yeah. All he could imagine was his daughter Lily in that position. So in Kosovo, everyone was always in a state of either boredom or fear. And it really started to weigh on everybody. The extreme heat, the intense anxiety... They all were counting down the days till they could return to their post in Germany. And Zach was even more so because Lana and the kids were eventually going to be able to join him there. Oh, okay. 
The army issued combat boots Zach had to wear didn't fit him properly. They were way too small and he developed a seriously painful case of hammer toe. So he wore a size 17 shoe. Oh, because he was so fucking huge. Yeah, and they didn't make size 17 combat boots. Oh, man. So his feet were basically crammed into these boots, and over time, it just destroyed his feet. Yeah. His hammer toe had become debilitating, and army doctors recommended surgery. And in the meantime, they started making him his own special pair of boots that he could wear. About time. But it was too late. Jeez. Once back in Germany, he got the surgery and it corrected the issue, but he still had a long recovery. During his medical leave, he headed back home to New Orleans to visit Lana and the kids. It was a tough reunion. Lana was too busy to fill out the paperwork needed to move them to Germany. He decided that he wasn't going to leave New Orleans without his family, and he made sure he got all the proper forms filled out to get them there. When he arrived back in Europe, he returned with his wife and kids. Nice. So once back on base, Lana struggled to find her place. All of Zach's colleagues and their wives knew about her career as a dancer and had seen the photos. I was about to say, they know everything about her. (laughs) So as you can imagine, she was judged pretty harshly Mm. by the other army wives. Ugh, that sucks. She didn't even get to make her own first impression. Right. They already had their own. From the pictures. That sucks. So she found life on the base very lonely. So while Zach worked, Lana would go off with the kids on trips to Italy and France. She really loved to travel. Doesn't sound bad at all to me. No, Um, that would be kind of amazing. She eventually made a friend in the barracks, and that caused her to feel more at ease. But then September of 2001 rolled around. Everyone's eyes were glued to the TV as the events of September 11th unfolded on the television in family housing. That was the first time that Lana was hit with the fear that Zach's decision to enlist in the army could have huge consequences. Mm-hmm. 9-11 set off a chain of events at the base. There were lockdowns and parents were pulling their kids out of school and opting for homeschooling. It was clear that war was inevitable. His group would soon leave Germany for their next mission in Iraq. In the winter of 2002, many new privates were joining their group to prepare for the war one of which was Rachel Bosveld. She stood at only five feet tall, but she held her own. Zach and Rachel, both musicians, became fast friends, spending a lot of their time together. But while in Baghdad, Rachel was killed in a mortar attack. Oh no. She was the first woman soldier killed in Iraq, and it was a huge blow to everyone who knew her. Ugh. Zach was surrounded by death and was witnessing things every day that were sure to never leave his mind. After enduring more than he could handle on the front lines in Kosovo and Iraq, Zach's performance started slipping. He was unable to pass his physical exams. Time after time, he failed the sit-up portion of his tests. Ultimately, Zach was removed from the army. Although his superior recommended he receive an honorable discharge, he received the lesser general discharge. This was a huge disappointment to him. With a general discharge, you don't receive the same benefits as you would with an honorable discharge. And this type of release can carry a negative stigma. Okay, I was going to ask because I don't know what the difference is. I just thought honorable meant you're fine. And then then there was dishonorable. I didn't know that there was an There's a general. Honorable is like you've done all your duties to good to amazing standards. 
Um, Man, you get to leave with all of your benefits and everything, but yeah. general is more like you had some issues, but you overall were okay. I wonder why they didn't give it to him. I don't know. I think because he continued to fail tests and he wasn't performing yeah. the duties as he needed to. I would imagine at 6'10", it's hard to do sit-ups anyway. <laughs> yeah. You're like really lifting a lot of torso. Yeah, you're, you're, <laughs> yeah that's true. I didn't even think about that because I was like, man, I'm not even like an active person and I can do like some sit-ups, man. <laughs> Zach returned home to New Orleans with his family, feeling like a huge disappointment. Lana was at a loss. They didn't have the benefits they relied on anymore, and Zach returned acting like a completely different person. Lana took the kids and left Zach, getting back together with an old ex-boyfriend. It was over between them. Zach was out of options, so he went back to working the bars in New Orleans. Uh, or is stupid yeah it's like congrats on your ptsd like yeah this is what you got out of going to war i I don't understand it i don't either so zach goes back to working in the bars in new orleans he gets a job at a bar called hogs which is an after-hour spot popular with the locals and known as a place where the strippers like to hang out after the other bars have closed Zach worked the 2 a.m. to 10 a.m. shift. Whoa, (laughs) it's open all night? I guess so, man. I can only imagine the types of things you'd see at that hour. Yeah. Like in New Orleans? I know. I don't know. So Hogs is where Zach would meet fellow bartender Addie Hall. Addie was originally from North Carolina, but settled in New Orleans in the late 90s. Her friends would describe her as a hothead, but with a fun personality. Just don't cross her. She was a talented writer, dancer, seamstress, and had a bohemian vibe that Zach was immediately drawn to. She definitely does have a bohemian vibe. Yep. There's a picture up of her. She has these star-shaped sunglasses on her head. Um, She's holding two kitties in her lap. I didn't even notice that. And a glass of wine and just chilling. She got like... Esmeralda chain around her neck. Oh, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But Addie did not have the best life growing up. She was sexually abused by a family member from a very young age, and that trauma followed her from one abusive relationship to the next until she made an escape and found herself in New Orleans. Addie initially lived out of her car till she could find an apartment. She'd take odd jobs wherever she could and picked up a lot of friends along the way. But Addie had a dark side. Her good friend Margaret Sanchez reported that Addie had bipolar disorder, and when she drank or ran out of her lithium, she'd become extremely volatile. She'd say the cruelest things she could think of to those closest to her. Friends quickly learned that it was best to avoid Addie whenever she had these spells. Damn. Yeah. Addie met Zach on his first day of work. He was the bartender that relieved her from her shift. She was straight up rude to Zach when he first started. She had no patience for his dumb bar tricks he did to impress the lady patrons. (laughs) And Addie's friend Margaret recalls how Addie would just make fun of Zach to his face. Like, making fun of his haircut and just, like, being an asshole. Yeah. But it was all in a schoolgirl crush sort of way. Her flirting style was definitely the the push-the-boy-down-at-the-playground kind of flirting. Yeah. I have a vivid picture in my head. Everyone could see that Zach was falling for Addie. The more time they spent together, the more obsessed with each other they became. Addie softened when she was around Zach. 
He spent so much time with Addie at the bar that he ended up being banned with the exception of his work hours. Oh, damn. And he was still... They got married. Like, he's yeah, still he's, married he's and still all that stuff. He's still married to Lana, right? but they're okay. basically just separated. Okay, he's yeah. He's dating her ex-boyfriend. Right, 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 right. Okay. And they're just, like, living different lives at this point. Yeah. Um, I don't even think he's too involved with his kids at this point. Um, oh, no. Yeah. Zach's mom, Lori, recalls Zach calling her shortly after he met Addie, claiming he had found his soulmate, that he'd never loved anyone like this. Zach and Addie's relationship was getting intense. But then, news of a storm was reported to be heading to the New Orleans area. Hurricane Katrina was rapidly growing in size and leveled up from a Category 3 to a Category 5 in just nine hours. Shortly after this development, on August 28th, New Orleans Mayor Ray Nagan ordered the first ever mandatory evacuation of the city. He called Katrina a storm that most of us have long feared, and that was an understatement. Yeah, it was. Do you remember when that happened? I do remember when that happened, because there was a girl in my art history class. I don't know, you probably had classes with her that had come here from having evacuated. Oh my God. From Katrina. But I, I mean, I just remember it being on the news constantly constantly yeah do you remember when mike myers and kanye west were on tv for like a red cross a red cross thing like it was like a i don't know if it was like a telethon or like a just an ad i don't know it was for red cross and it was mike myers and kanye west Uh uh-huh mike myers is super serious like your donations will help blah 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 but then Kanye West just goes off spouting just of kind of like incoherent nonsense. But then he ends it with George Bush doesn't care about black people. Oh, that's what that's from? Yeah. I had no idea. Yeah. Oh my God. Which, you know, I don't doubt. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was just like a pivotal pop culture moment um, Yeah. Kanye. Yeah, because everybody has heard that quote from yeah. him before. yeah. But when he said that, Mike Myers is just kind of like, um... What do I do? Cut, yeah. cut. <laughs> Stop this. Uh. Oh, God. But it was tragic. Totally mishandled in every possible way you can think of. Yeah, yeah. And plus New Orleans is just like perfect flood area. Mm-hmm. So Zach had planned to evacuate New Orleans with Lana and the kids. But when, when he went to say goodbye to Addie... She invited him to stay and wait out the storm with her in her apartment. He couldn't leave her, and he told Lana that he was going to be staying with Addie. That's so stupid for so many reasons. I know. So immature. (laughs) Yeah. Lana was furious, and not to mention desperate. She didn't want to evacuate from her home by herself with two kids. No! She needed his help. She told Zach that he could even bring Addie with him, but he refused. This left Lana to care for her two young children alone while running from a Category 5 hurricane. Did she go with her boyfriend or anything, or is she just... I'm not even sure if, like, he was in New Orleans or if it was, like, long distance or something. Oh, okay. I do know that she was alone with the kids. They had to stay at a shelter in Texas. Oh, my God. Um, And meanwhile, Zach just stayed back with Addie in her apartment. So as the storm made contact... The couple huddled inside Addie's small apartment, drinking and playing games. Suddenly, the power went out. New Orleans went deafeningly... I can't say that word. Deafeningly. Yeah. New Orleans went (laughs) deafeningly... New Orleans went deafeningly quiet. That was the only one I got right. I know, and that one's going to be really aggressive. I don't know where. (laughs) 
New Orleans went deafeningly quiet. <laughs> it was New, or- New Orleans went super quiet. Yeah, maybe just substitute the word. <laughs> okay. New Orleans went quiet. Definitely. 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 I can't. I don't know. I should just have your voice come in and be like, definitely. Definitely. What the hell? I'll just use my voice. Yeah, you have a good cut there. Oh, my God. Maybe we'll just keep this in because I have a little story to tell. Oh, okay. Okay. I, one of my sources was an audio book. It was called Shake the Devil Off. And... You know, sometimes audiobooks are good and sometimes they're very bad. Uh-huh. This one was very bad. Oh, no. Um, like the narrator? Yeah, or? the narrator. Oh, no. I didn't really care for the book either. It was just too much. I felt like it could have been shortened. But the narrator apparently, like, must have mispronounced certain words. Oh. And so you could tell they cut it out and, like, just put the word back in. <laughs> and, um... Like, Johnny went to the store. store. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so um, the word was Gießen, like the town in Germany, yeah. the city. And I guess he was pronouncing it Geisen. Oh. And so it would be like, when he went back to Gießen. <laughs> and like, it was so distracting. But then sometimes they missed them and he would say Geisen. And it was just like oh, so distracting Oh my to god. Me. So New Orleans went deafeningly quiet. When they... <laughs> you, it, was, it was 99% there. Yeah. When they emerged from that apartment, they were all alone. Almost everyone had left. The streets were piled with debris. Zach and Addie, along with a few other holdouts, took to the streets to clean up the wreckage. The French Quarter didn't flood. It seemed like a miracle. They had no idea how the rest of the city was affected. I didn't even know that. The only problems they knew were the ones right in front of them. The city was now open with no supervision. The police were either gone or out for themselves. The town became lawless and dangerous. Some holdouts began looting. Others scavenged for food and fresh water. Addie and Zach hit up the bar to grab supplies. It was time to party. Oh, hell yeah. To them, this was sort of a paradise. No work, no rules, just living. <laughs> that sounds like a really cool tagline. <laughs> yeah, I was <laughs> sounds like... Um... Like a vacation advertisement. Yeah. Or like one of those life is good t-shirts. That's what I thought. Yeah. Oh my God. I hate, I hate that shit. (laughs) No work, no rules, just living. They survived on ramen noodles and canned goods, which they cooked over a mattress fire in the streets. Excuse me? A mattress fire? Mm -hmm. Like a mattress on fire. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So specific and weird. They mixed drinks in exchange for food and water. A sense of fraternity was growing between the Katrina holdouts. Life felt like one big urban camping trip, but the streets were dangerous. Some resorted to violence out of greed or sheer desperation. Addie had to make sure the cops kept patrolling their street. She did this by flashing them every time they drove by. What? (laughs) Sure enough, they stuck around. Zach and Addie were becoming local celebrities. They were seen as the king and queen of the Katrina holdouts. The media caught wind of what was happening and did a piece on all the people who stayed behind. The couple's picture appeared in many publications, including the New York Times. Wow. So these are some photos 
from their time as holdouts in New Orleans. And these were in the New York Times. Look at that guy's beard. Yeah. So, Mallory, you want to describe? Yeah. So, so we've got um, Addie and Zach around a small table sitting with this guy who's in a Hawaiian t-shirt and he's got like blonde gray hair, you know, that like weird in between (laughs) blonde gray. Like stained. But he's got like, his beard is super long, but it's not all super long. It's like he's got mutton chops and then the goatee is like 60 (laughs) feet long. (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Okay. But otherwise... (laughs) I just couldn't believe it. Um, so yeah, the, what are they? Are they opening like a can of beans or something? Yeah, it looks like they're opening a can of beans. So they're sitting at this small makeshift table with these folding chairs on the side of the street. There's no one around. You can tell like a hurricane has kind of blown through as there's a branch laying in the road. Sorry for laughing through that, by the way. I just no, they're making <laughs> drinks. Um, in the other photo, it's at night. They're like it's candle lit. They have like a bowl of beans or something and some wine. It literally looks like an urban camping trip. Yeah, it does. Like a block party, but poor. But poor, and but yeah, because you're eating surviving. beans out of a can. Yeah, surviving. But they still got like wine and stuff, like. Yeah, they looted a bar. <laughs> yeah, probably. Well, they did. Oh, they, they did it. Okay. <laughs> it was the beard. It really distracted me. I'm oh, sorry. It is pretty impressive. It is. So while Addie and Zach were living it up playing survivalists, they had no idea what was going on just a few blocks from them. Levy breaches in New Orleans caused a significant number of deaths with over 700 bodies recovered in New Orleans by October 23, 2005. Some survivors and evacuees reported seeing dead bodies laying in the streets and floating in still-flooded sections, especially in the east of the city. The advanced state of decomposition of many corpses, some of which were left in the water or sun for days before being collected, hindered efforts of coroners to identify many of the dead. Yeah. The death toll from Katrina is shaky. Reports differ by hundreds. According to the National Hurricane Center, 1,836 fatalities can be attributed to the storm. However, 135 people remain categorized as missing in Louisiana. Something I learned, I had no idea this happened. It's crazy. Um, Apparently... Many prisoners in New Orleans were abandoned in their prison cells during Katrina while guards evacuated or sought shelter. So they were left to drown in their prison cells. Wow. Or starve. Oh my God. Or starve to death, locked away. Yeah. Um, But hundreds of prisoners were later registered as unaccounted for. And a lot of these prisoners were just in for minor offenses. It's not like they were like yeah. on the death death row or something. Not murderers or, you know. Uh, so basically, a huge civil rights issue right there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Human rights issue. Um, insane that I've never even heard about that. But uh, the city government established a few last resort places of refuge for those who were unable to evacuate. And there were... Plenty of people who couldn't evacuate just due to not having a car or money or anywhere to go. Um, or stuck in a hospital. Yeah, like they're stuck in a hospital, <sighs> a nursing home. Yep. There, were, there was no plan to escape. 
no plan yeah at all one of the main places where people could go for refuge was the massive louisiana superdome which sheltered approximately 26,000 people and provided them with food and water for several days as the storm came ashore. It's estimated that 80% of the 1.3 million residents of the greater New Orleans metropolitan area were able to get out in time, three of which were Lana, Jackson, and Lily Bowen. Oh, wow. They were staying in a shelter in Texas. Lana found work waitressing at an Applebee's. Eating good in the neighborhood. (laughs) So she could continue to care for her two kids. She hadn't heard from Zach, and she assumed he was killed in the storm. Wow. What the fuck, man? He didn't even try. Well, maybe the cell service was. Yeah, it's. He probably couldn't get in touch, but like, he should have gone with them, right? Uh, yeah. He pisses me off. You have children. You should have gone with your children, regardless. To protect them. Yes. Yeah. 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 100%. As the weeks went by, a military presence grew in New Orleans to help with the relief efforts. The 82nd Airborne Division from Fort Bragg came to assist the National Guard. Their tanks rolling down the streets immediately brought Zach back to Kosovo and Iraq. He felt a wave of regret and failure for how his time in the service came to an end. He told their friend, Margaret Sanchez, that it all reminded him too much of his time in the desert. As the electricity returned and the evacuees arrived back in the town, the heaviness returned in Zach's chest. On September 19th, the mayor officially announced that the city was ready for the citizens to return back to their homes. The freedom they had experienced during the aftermath of the storm would soon be replaced with a 9-to-5 grind and all of their responsibilities. So with that, I think we should take a little break. Okay, break time. And we will be right back. And we are back. We're back. I didn't say this stuff earlier, but I think the whole holdout thing sounds really fun for some reason. Oh, (laughs) yeah. Um, for a little bit. I haven't wanted to do it long term. Not for a long period of time, but to just be in your city all alone and just like, I don't know, yeah. the sense of community that you would have with other people. I, I could totally see the appeal. Yeah, I think so too. I, I I think I would get sick of eating beans out of a can really fast, but... Do you ever romanticize like living in a zombie apocalypse? Like I have before, Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Like, I think about what if the world was ending and there was a zombie apocalypse, like... Because it would be exciting, especially if you got to do that, like, with your friends and stuff. Or, like, Lost. Like, what if you crashed on a desert island? Yeah, that kind of thing. It just feels like that kind of thing. I feel like it would give me a new start in life. It would (laughs) give me the oomph I need to be my best self. Exactly. Because you have to. (laughs) Yeah, because you have to push it to the limit. Yep. Anyway, I agree. I, just, I kind of want that sometimes. I need it, actually. Do you want to go back to Orange Theory? <laughs> <laughs> I need to. Yeah. They keep calling me. They keep calling me, too. They won't stop. It's like, will you please, ma'am? <laughs> I know how to use a website. I know how to schedule yeah. an appointment. Okay. Do you think calling me incessantly is going to make me want to come back? During lunchtime? <laughs> <laughs> when I'm stuffing my face? <laughs> No. Uh, 
Okay. So I just, I just wanted to add that in because as I was reading about this story, I was totally like on the same page as Zach and Addie. I'd totally be into the whole like survivalist lifestyle for a short bit. Yeah. Okay. But the fairy tale ended once all the evacuees returned to New Orleans. Lana returned home with the kids, and when she discovered that Zach was fine and just hadn't tried to reach out after all this time, she was hurt and enraged. Yeah, I would be too. Mm-hmm. It was time for Zach to step up, and that meant he needed to start paying child support, which he hadn't been doing, and he needed to start keeping the kids every other weekend. Yeah. I mean, yeah. These are just general things that you should do. Right. But she was unable to get a hold of Zach, and she was reaching her breaking point. So Lana grabbed a bat and made her way to Addie's apartment to find Zach. What? (laughs) He wasn't home, but Addie was, and there was no way she was answering the door for Zach's estranged wife, especially when she was yielding a bat. Yeah. Uh, can you imagine that <laughs> oh god, oh god i'd shit myself zach sheepishly called lana back and they scheduled to meet at a local bar she told him that he had to step up he needed to pay child support and he needed to help with the kids and yeah. he agreed good he told Addie about having the kids stay over every other weekend and she seemed all for it she even went out and bought them some clothes to keep at her apartment But when it came time for Addie to meet Lana and the kids, she refused to get out of the car. She just stayed in the car sulking and refused to even meet Lana or the kids. That's weird. Yeah. Maybe do a little bit more than that. It's just immaturity, right? It is immaturity, yeah, for sure. When the kids came to visit Zach and Addie, she refused to even look at them. What? So it wasn't, I was thinking maybe it was just because Lana was there. Like maybe she would be cool with the kids. I think she initially was just like, yeah, have them over just because she didn't think it would affect her. But maybe when all was said and done, she just didn't want his past life. He just wanted him. She didn't want anything to do with Lana or the kids. Well, too bad, honey. Yeah. I mean, can't have it that way. Right. She'd spend her time out at bars, would come home late at night and go straight to bed. A month went by, and Addie was not budging. She was openly hostile to the children. Jesus. And asked Zach to stay in a hotel when the kids visited. What? Yeah. So the kids, when they're going to see Dad, would have to go to a hotel. Yeah, they all just go to a hotel together. That's some bullshit. I know, right? If I was Lana, I would be like, "Uh uh-uh. Well, Zach's with them. But yeah, I don't know. I would just be so pissed off. <laughs> yeah, it's just like, well, she obviously doesn't give a shit about your kids. Yeah. But I guess she's not around them, so it doesn't really matter. But it's so odd. It's very weird. That she started a relationship up with a man who had kids. Obviously, they're going to be in his life. Yeah. And then acted all fine with it when he mentioned they were going to come. Well, But then totally shut down. Maybe... She kind of, like, saw that they weren't really in his life. And she was like, oh, this will be fine. Yeah. And then once they were, she was like, well, fuck. I don't know. Either way, it's really shitty. Addie obviously wanted nothing to do with Zach's past life. Toward the end of the year, Addie got a new bartending job at the Spotted Cat, a popular jazz bar. 
and Zach picked up another job delivering groceries. 2005 came and went. you remember where you were at in 2005? Graduating from high school. Yeah, that was a bad year, actually. Oh. <laughs> that was a bad year. Um, but yeah. I think I that's when I had my first real boyfriend. I had a boyfriend at that time. He was younger than me, actually. Speaking of younger men, but only by like a year and a half. <laughs> Let's see. The music I was listening to at that time, it was... It was monumental. Oh. That was like Postal Service. Postal Service? The Faint. The Faint. um, Oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. Who else? Well, I was also listening to stuff like Thursday. I started listening to Arcade Fire back then. Yep. Arcade Fire. (sighs) I can't remember. Senior year. I was in my first year of college and I was driving a lot. So I had lots of listening to music time. I can't really remember anything else that's just like sticking out, but I remember I, I went to a saying. Faint concert with Meg and TV on the radio opened up for the Faint. Do you remember TV on the radio? Yeah, that yeah. seems like it should be the other way around. I know. Well, it probably, probably would be now. Yeah, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, listening, I also listened to TV on the radio after that because I really liked them. I think you were the first person to introduce me to TV on the radio though. TBQH. Nice. Nice. <laughs> okay, so 2005 came and went. The two were bringing in money, but were doing nothing to save. Instead, they spent all their money partying. <sighs> After helping a fellow friend slash drug dealer, they were hooked up with a steady supply of Coke, which they took full advantage of. Oh, good. The incessant drinking and cocaine use took the couple to a dark, dark place. Addie was out of her lithium and was self-medicating. Oh, and shit. needless to say, she became vicious. The pair began to fight nonstop. Sometimes it would get physical with Addie shoving Zach. He decided he needed to take a break. He took off to visit family in Washington, leaving his job and his kids behind. Lana was pissed. Zach had once again dropped the ball, and she was getting sick of making up excuses for Zach's absence. Mm-hmm. When Zach returned, he went right back to Addie. While the reunion was sweet, it didn't take long for trouble to resume once again. The two picked up their partying habit, drinking nonstop and abusing drugs, which then led to the vicious arguments. The couple was in a breakup makeup cycle for months. By August, the police began to get involved. After an argument, Addie stormed out into the streets waving a gun. Her drunk ass started arguing with a person passing by, and she ended up threatening them with the gun. The police were called, and Addie ran back inside and changed into her her nightgown in the hopes that the police would believe she had been sleeping. It didn't fly. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) She did not convince them. (laughs) Officer, uh, just imagine. Sorry, uh, what's going on now? I was sleeping. <laughs> I'm sorry, I was sleeping. The police came in and immediately found the gun and the drugs. She was arrested and charged with aggravated assault and possession. Her mm. friends managed to post her bail, because Zach refused, and the couple reconciled. But as you can imagine, it didn't last long. More physical altercations occurred, and more arrests were made. This time, it was Zach. During a fight, the police were called, and Zach was arrested for possession of marijuana. 
Oh no! Oh no! The table! It's broken! <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe people get arrested for that. Well, so I don't know weird. about now, but. The couple was spiraling, spending over $400 a week on Coke, which is the equivalent Damn. of $560 today. Yes, I did Google that. <laughs> you did the math. Um, kind of. Which is a lot, right? $560 a, a week on drugs. How That's the like hell? a paycheck. Taxes excluded. Right. Well, yeah. Not my paycheck. <laughs> not, Actually, I don't have a paycheck Not right my paycheck either. <laughs> I don't have a paycheck. My paycheck is zero. <laughs> Anyways. During one of the couple's many breakups, Zach had started to seek out comfort elsewhere. He began to frequent some of the leather bars in New Orleans. Gay bars, Mm -hmm. right? Okay, that's what I thought. Yeah. This is where he met a local realtor and they started dating secretly. Zach did not want Addie to find out about his secret gay relationship, and he tried his best to keep it under wraps. Oh boy. But Zach and his boyfriend had the same drug dealer. Oh. And he, the drug dealer, began to get a vibe off of them. One day, he called Zach out asking what was going on with the guy and Zach. And Zach straight up told him, you know, I'm kind of bi. <laughs> he admitted that he had experiences in the past. And with he and Addie's relationship falling to pieces, he was open to having a relationship with a man. He made his drug dealer promise that he wouldn't say anything. But... Word travels fast in the small post-Katrina community. Yikes. Word got back to Addie, and she flipped her shit. TBQH, I would too. Why are we keep oh, saying TBQH? What's TBQH? To be quite honest. Oh, quite honest. Okay, I'm used to TBH. TBH. To be I mean, quite I mean, honest. How stupid is that? Why do I keep doing that? God, kill <laughs> it's me. It's fine. I mean, you're just being yourself, and that's all I can ask. All right. All right. <laughs> so, Addie flipped her shit. How would you react, Mallory? Let's yeah. Let's just hear how you would, what would you do if Brent... You found out Brent was dating a realtor man. Okay. There's a multitude of things. <laughs> but I would... It would be... It would be over. It would be over. 100%. And I would be so mad. Unbelievably mad. Because it doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is that he cheated. Mm-hmm. So that's it. Here's how Addie handled it. She called every woman in Zach's phone and told them he had AIDS. (laughs) (laughs) Damn. That's that's brutal. Yeah, she is very brutal. Very brutal. I mean, I'm not even giving you the half of the brutality that she really rained down. Damn. Yeah. So after that, she deleted all of his contacts from his SIM card. Wow. She would ride her bike by his work, yelling derogatory things about Zach for everyone to hear. Damn. So the two went their separate ways, but... (laughs) I'm sorry, wait. (laughs) So she's just like riding by on a bike. Yeah. She's like, (laughs) Zach, (laughs) 
Zach fucks dudes or like, I don't know. Like, so what? I know what she's, okay. So what she said was she would ride by on her bike and she'd be like, sure would be nice to be fucked by a guy who's straight for once. Like stuff like that. But when you're doing that, you're really only embarrassing yourself. Yeah. I feel like. Yeah. But she's getting something out. You know? Yeah, I know. She doesn't realize feel... she's embarrassing herself. Yeah. But that's yeah. true. You're real, you're right. Yeah. That is embarrassing. Bar- embarrassing for both of them, honestly. That's true. So they both went their separate ways, but it caused them to suffer immensely. Um, because Addie couldn't afford basic necessities without Zach. Especially Ooh. with the drug habit the two had picked up. Yeah. Addie had been scrounging for quarters just to pay for food. Her apartment was falling into disrepair and her landlord refused to help. She had to pay for a plumber out of her own pocket and she told the landlord that she'd be deducting the cost from her rent that month, which did not go over well. She now ran the risk of becoming evicted, but she didn't have the money to pay a deposit in first month's rent. Zach was struggling too. He was basically homeless, couch surfing from house to house and still trying to keep up with his two jobs in order to support himself and his kids. When Addie came back to Zach asking for help, he caved. They needed each other. By the beginning of October, the two began apartment hunting. They came across a for rent sign on a building located at 826 North Rampart Street. The first level of the building housed the New Orleans Voodoo Spiritual Temple, which was run by the notorious priestess Miriam Shamani. That is so dope. I would love that. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if I would love it, but it sounds so cool. (laughs) Sounds so amazing. It is so cool. So cool that Nicolas Cage asked priestess Miriam Shamani to perform a blessing ceremony during his wedding to Lisa Marie Presley. Really? Mm-hmm. Yep, How did they famous. score this apartment? It was just their luck they saw the for rent sign. Wow. The rent was doable for the couple. It was only $750 a month, and they were able to pay the deposit in first month's rent up front, which was a rarity in those times. The landlord, Leo Watermeyer, handed the keys over to Zach and Addie without so much as drawing up a lease. It felt too good to be true. So no lease at all. No, he didn't Didn't sign. He was just like, give me the money. You got the keys. We'll worry about that later. Just it's yours. It's handled. It's handled for now. You know, well, and everything felt too good to be true. They'd scored the perfect place in no time at all. This was going to be the fresh start they needed. Zach called Lana to tell her about the new place and that he'd be happy to keep the kids that weekend. Things were looking up for Zach. Or so he thought. Dun, dun, dun. Two days later, Addie unexpectedly dropped by Leo Watermeyer's office alone. She demanded him to draw up a six-month lease in her name immediately. In her name only? Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. Leo was caught off guard and quickly wrote up a lease to appease her. They both signed it, and she was on her way. Not even ten minutes later, Leo received a call from Zach. He was frantic and asked, Did you just sign a six-month lease with Addie? Leo confirmed that he did, and Zach broke down. He was screwed. 
Addie signed the lease and promptly told Zach that he needed to get out of her apartment. She used him just for the deposit and first month's rent. That's fucked up. Oh my god. I would be so fucking Bro, mad, she man. is calculated. Yeah, real bad. Real, real bad. Real bad case of calculated. <laughs> She's a calculator. <laughs> She's boopless, man. She's boopless and boobs. Uh. Oh, you can also do boobies. Mm-hmm. That's true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's true. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're right, Mallory. Yeah. <laughs> Zach hung up and Leo rushed over to talk to the couple. To his surprise, he found them out in the stairwell arguing. Addie turned to Leo and told him that she just caught Zach cheating on her with a man. Leo was taken aback by this. It wasn't every day he was put in the middle of something like this. He was shocked that Addie would share such sensitive details of their relationship. He was probably just like, I don't care. What the fuck? He was probably just like, um, excuse me. I'll be right back. Or like, oh shit, who did I just rent this apartment to? Before he left, he asked the couple to please come to an agreement. But Zach and Addie's fighting lasted all afternoon. What was Zach going to do now? He was supposed to keep the kids that weekend. He was furious. As the fighting continued into the night, Zach became more and more disturbed by how his life had ended up. Every mistake that led him to this moment was on a loop in his mind. Dropping out of high school, losing friends tragically in the war, being discharged from the army, his failed marriage, this toxic relationship, he couldn't get away from it. And not being elected homecoming oh, king. Oh, also not being elected homecoming king. <laughs> Is that inappropriate? No. <laughs> he couldn't get away from it. Zach couldn't let losing this apartment and being homeless again be yet another failure he had to endure. He couldn't bear to give Lana another excuse as to why he couldn't keep the kids. He couldn't go back to sleeping on another person's couch. Zach and Addie's constant drama was causing friends to turn their backs on them. This had to end. As midnight neared, the fighting grew physical. And by 1 a.m., Zach wrapped his hands around Addie's throat and strangled her until she was no longer breathing. Oh my god. An entry written by Zach in Addie's diary sheds some light on what exactly happened. It reads, She had stolen this apartment. Ask Leo Watermeyer. He'll explain that one. Tried to kick me out, then would not shut the fuck up. So I very calmly strangled her. It was very quick. Then after sexually defiling the body a few times, I was posed with the question of how to dispose of the corpse. Oh my god, dude. No matter how crazy she seemed, she did not deserve that. Right. And no matter how much trauma he had been through, the whole like sexually defiling of the corpse thing. Just blatantly saying, I just did this to her. (sighs) I, oh my god. It's really crazy how you made me feel like he was the good guy and she was the bad guy through this whole thing, even though I knew that he killed her, but 
That's just nuts. I'll get to that a little bit more at the end because I have thoughts. Yeah. That night, Zach got drunk and passed out beside Addie. He woke up the next morning and went to work at his grocery delivery job. He ran into his and Addie's friend, Capriccio. He noticed Zach look rough and asked what was wrong. Zach told him that Addie left him, that she decided to move back home to North Carolina. Capriccio wondered if perhaps Zach had killed Addie, but the thought seemed ludicrous and he quickly pushed it out of his head. So he was a really close friend. He He was very close with the couple. He knew all about their history. So the thought did enter his mind because it was very odd that she would leave to go back to yeah, North Carolina. Yeah, it was just uncharacteristic. She did mention potentially doing that, but he didn't see her actually doing that. So it did cross his mind, but he thought it was so crazy that he just kind of like dismissed the thought. That's nuts. Zach returned home to 826 North Rampart Street around 9 p.m. He wrote in Addie's journal, I came home moved the body to the tub, got a saw, and hacked off her feet, hands, and head. Put her head in the oven after giving it an awful haircut. What? Put her hands and feet in water on the range. Then I got drunk, and some hours later, turned off the stove. I filled the tub with water and passed out. This is what I don't get. Like, why did you go to all that trouble to do all that stuff? Because it's not like he was trying to hide her. We already know that. Well, initially he was, I think. Oh, really? Yeah. But but he was writing it down. And why would he give her a weird haircut? <laughs> I think he wasn't writing it down as he did it. This is I'm just kind of breaking up the journal. Okay. As the timeline goes on, I think he So wrote he had this already once he decided that he was not going to go through with disposing of everything and he was going to kill himself he wrote out this letter to the police basically i got in the journal i gotcha Mm -hmm. zach was off work that weekend and he had intended to use this time to finish the cleanup but instead he spent most of his time coked up in the bars with different women (sighs) he woke up that sunday afternoon remembering that he was supposed to have the kids that weekend he knew lana would be furious with him He called her and had her bring the kids to meet him at the grocery store where he worked. He said he had $600 of child support to give her. Lana said that when they arrived, Zach seemed in a great mood. He bought the kids candy and told Lana that he really wanted to fix the place up before having the kids come over. He asked if they could stay with him the next weekend. Lana didn't buy it. Addie never let the kids stay with him. Mm-hmm. She asked about Addie, and Zach assured her that Addie wouldn't be there. It was a plan, and the kids were excited. Mm-hmm. That night, Zach went back to work. He wrote, Sunday night, I sawed off the rest of the legs and arms and put them in a roasting pan. I stuck them in the oven and passed out. I came to seven hours later with an awful smell emanating from the kitchen. Yeah. I turned the oven off and went to work Monday. This would be the last day I'd work. On Monday night, when he arrived home from work, things started to set in. He was horrified by what he had done. To cope, Zach began drinking heavily, chugging bottles of Jameson and snorting thick rails of Coke. He left the apartment with every cent he had and threw down hundreds at the strip club. 
No one saw Zach for the next two days. No one except for the stripper that he had charmed at the Hustler Club. He spent two days at her place engaging in wild sex and copious amounts of drugs. Can you imagine finding out that you had a murderer in your house for two days after they killed their girlfriend? No, I don't know how I would deal with that. I don't know how I would deal with that. Oh my God. What if we know a murderer right now? Chances are we do. Who is it? (laughs) Who could it be? It's my baby. No. No! (laughs) It's not me for sure. It ain't me. Unless I killed someone inadvertently. Who do you think? Remember when we convinced Abby that you hit someone with your car? No, we convinced Abby that I killed a police officer. (laughs) (laughs) I can't believe she believed us. I was really convincing, I think. I was like pretending like I was crying on the phone. (laughs) You were really fucked up, Abby. Yeah, we were. Sorry, Abs. Um, She doesn't listen to this podcast. She catches up here and there. <laughs> yeah, That's my sister, by the way, if we keep this in. <laughs> we're crazy, man. <laughs> yeah. We were crazy back in the day. We would screw with people hardcore. Like, why? I was so convincing that she was so worried. Remember when we had that app that would add ghosts to pictures? And yeah! We, like, took pictures. <laughs> we took pictures. Abby was our roommate, and we would take pictures around our house and, like, there was an app that would add ghosts and spirits and stuff <laughs> to the pictures. And we're like, I mean, look, oh my God, I took this picture. And she's like, what the fuck? We really scared. Although I, I we think did- we all started crying. <laughs> like we all started crying. We did kind of think that that house was haunted though, because you had oh a bookcase that, or no, your uh, dresser, dresser fell, fell over, over for no reason. And my radio would go to a weird frequency with like, was Fire it? and brimstone yeah. preaching. But wasn't it just your speakers? Like, not even a radio. Like, wasn't it, it just, was like, speakers. computer just, speakers? No, it was just my computer speakers would yeah. go off into a frenzy. And it made no sense. So crazy. Tangent. Anyways. So, when Zach reappeared after his time with the stripper, he and his friend Capriccio took a cab down to the French Quarter. Zach bought all Capriccio's drinks and lap dances. Zach appeared to be in good spirits, but he did say one thing that struck Capriccio as odd. He told him, I'm not who everybody thinks I am. It was especially odd because a week or so prior, Addie had told him the exact same thing. Three nights later, Zach helped Capriccio by bartending at his housewarming party. The party lasted until sunrise, and at 6.30 a.m., Zach gave Capriccio a huge hug and told him he was going on vacation. From there, Zach walked to the Omni Royal Hotel, where he took the elevator to the rooftop bar. He drank there all day long, and then after several false starts, Zach threw himself over the edge of the building. And that brings us to where I started. The cops found the letter in Zach's back pocket and rushed to Leo Watermeyer's to be let into 826 North Rampart. Poor Leo Watermeyer, man. I know, I know. When the police entered the apartment, they immediately noticed the temperature. The AC was on full blast and it felt like walking into a meat locker. Damn. The place was trashed. 
Empty liquor bottles and beer cans were strewn all over and ashtrays overflowing with cigarettes. The living room walls were covered in spray-painted messages reading, I'm a total failure. I love her. Help me stop the pain. And call Lana Bowen with her phone number. They discovered Addie's diary with the notes Zach wrote. Some of the notes reference Zach deciding to cook the body parts to help separate the meat from the bone to make it easier to dispose of the body. Oh, really? That's the reason? Yeah. I never even thought about that. Of course, I've never thought about killing anyone, so... (laughs) (laughs) This is really disturbing, but, like, I don't know why this is, I should have given a trigger warning, honestly. Well, just the pictures that you've got up right now... It's all the, like, um, spray paint messages, but there's one with the oven, and it just says, don't look on it. And you Mm -hmm. know that inside there, there are human body parts. And in those pots. Oh, my God. Uh, It's fucked up. They found more messages spray painted on the walls. Look in the oven. But on the oven door, it said, don't look. There were pots on the stove. They lifted the lids and were horrified. Mm. On the front burner, there was a large pot that had a human head in it that had appeared to have been cooked. Behind that, another large pot that contained a pair of human feet and hands. The limbs were in the oven, roasted, and it appeared they had been seasoned. No, what? Maybe tie the smell? I don't know. I have no idea. I didn't say. The police discovered more journal entries. I scared myself, not by the action of strangling the woman I love for one and a half years, but by my complete lack of remorse. So I decided to quit my job and spend the entire $1,500 I had in cash on being happy and then kill myself. News broke, their friends were horrified. Capriccio was coming to the realization that while Zach was taking him out, his friend Addie was in pieces in their apartment. Ugh. Horrible. Many friends and family are sympathetic of Zach, which is kind of odd. They attribute all of this to potentially PTSD Mm -hmm. and all of the hardships he had to endure, but I don't think it's an excuse like personally like the book i read was very much sympathetic towards zach and everything i really read was very sympathetic toward him and i just don't think i don't think that uh yeah i agree i don't i don't know what it's like to have seen the things that he saw but if you'd think if like the killing of other people had fucked you up so bad why would you Why would you do it to somebody else? Maybe I understand in his drunken, coked out stupor, his like deepest, darkest depression, his desperation that he maybe strangled her. Yes. But the fact that he then defiles her Mm -hmm. and goes on to chop up her body and all this stuff. Like, I don't think that is in line with. I agree. Totally, 100%. It's just kind of like so out of character for him. Yeah, I think so too. So their friend, Margaret Sanchez, I've mentioned her several times throughout this whole story. 
Margaret Sanchez tries to put herself in Zach's shoes, saying, quote, He must have felt shock, like, what did I just do? Get rid of the body would be anybody's first thought. He was going to try to be cool and callous and pass it off like she just left. Because she would do that, but he didn't. Because he was an actual person, he couldn't allow himself to do that. But Margaret could. What? That's right. Margaret had no problem with murdering and dismembering a woman and acting like nothing had happened. Less than six years after the murder and suicide of Addie and Zach, Margaret and her sex offender husband, Terry Speaks, hit the bars and strip clubs in New Orleans, searching for a girl to come home with them. Oh my God. What the hell, Margaret? Ooh. She was in all the documentaries about them. She was crying about Zach and Addie and all the little TV shows and documentaries. And meanwhile, her and her husband were hitting up the bars to find someone to come home with them. The couple ended up at Temptations Gentlemen's Club, where 22-year-old Jaron Lockhart was a dancer. She knew both Margaret and Terry for years, so she felt comfortable leaving with them early that morning. Oh my god. She hadn't made many tips that night, and the couple offered her money to come back with them. It seemed like a perfectly safe situation. The couple would bring Jaron back to their home in Kenner, Louisiana, which is about a 25-minute drive away from New Orleans. There, they would stab Jaron in the back, killing her. Two days later, her dismembered body would be discovered washed up along the Mississippi Gulf Coast. The body was mutilated to cover up tattoos and prevent anyone from identifying Jaron's body. A witness recalled seeing Terry Speaks startled, holding a garbage bag in his driveway. Police discovered other suspicious behavior from Speaks and Sanchez following Lockhart's disappearance. They used software to remove photos and other data from their computer. Their behavior was odd, too. They were acting nervous and unusual in social settings, and their usually disgusting home and car were spotless and smelled like cleaning products just days before the arrest. A jury found Speaks guilty of second-degree murder, obstruction of justice, and conspiracy to commit obstruction of justice in June 2015. Following a trial that saw him briefly fire his attorneys and take up his own defense, which I wish I could watch, the judge sentenced Speaks to life in prison. Margaret Sanchez pleaded guilty and was sentenced to 40 years for both the manslaughter and obstruction of justice charges and 20 years for the conspiracy charge, the maximum penalties allowed by the law. The district attorney's office said that these sentences were to run concurrently. So why did they do this? Yeah, they literally sought somebody out Mm -hmm. just to kill them. Apparently, there was an astronomical phenomenon going on called the Venus Transition. 
where Venus passes over the sun and it happens once every 2,000 years. They were obsessed with this whole idea of this Venus transition. It was supposed to be like a very sexual like oh my god uh, thing and so they thought if they took in this was like I guess this is a theory. I don't know. Um but they believed if they were to sacrifice have like a sex sacrifice Oh like, my god. I don't know what the end goal was there, but it was it was very dark. Oh. Look. Uh, oh my god. Anyway, Jaren Lockhart was 22 years old. She had a daughter who was 3 years old. Oh. She was trying to better herself. She never wanted to be a stripper. She was just doing it to support her support kid. Support her kid yeah. and like get herself together before she went on to her next thing, but she wanted to be a cosmetologist and do hair and all that. Mm-hmm. But Margaret Sanchez, the best friend who we've heard throughout this entire story, who appeared in every freaking piece of information about this case, six <sighs> years later, did the same thing. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. How do you think, even if you want to kill somebody or like make a sacrifice or whatever the fuck, she was going to do. You don't think about that little girl that is going to lose her mom. Like, I mean, Margaret Sanchez has kids too. How do you? That's crazy. There has been kind of like a dark thread within this whole entire story because a lot of people think maybe Zach and Addie living above that voodoo temple, maybe that did something to them but obviously not i think voodoo is more about healing not about i don't know a whole lot about it i don't either (laughs) i don't know anything actually the the bit i read about the priestess was that she does a lot of healing rituals it's not anything evil yeah i think everything just came to a head with them i would like to just make a side note here that terry speaks is that his name Mm -hmm. he looks like a leprechaun (laughs) just a combination of this picture and the last picture where he has obviously fake red hair yeah that's not his real hair color no it's not there's no way they they're huge pieces of shit honestly yeah um so basically that's my story wow that was crazy yeah that was crazy i liked it so when i heard it I, well, I had never heard of it before, obviously. I've never heard of and this. And then when I was researching, I saw the connection between these two cases, and I thought that was super interesting. And also the whole Katrina aspect. Mm-hmm. But I didn't, I didn't realize this was a super popular case. Like, this is a very big one. How have so I never heard of this? That the house, 826 North Rampart Street, is now owned by someone who gives tours like a almost like a haunted tour Whoa. type thing. Oh to no. Like, which is not it's not kosher, right? I feel like no. And also why would you wanna go in there where she was like dismembered? And murdered. Yeah. I don't like it. I don't know. But people like it's like a tour and people leave money and like shots on the stove where she was cooked oh and my things. God. And 
I feel like that's in very poor taste. It is in very poor taste. And that's the thing with like true crime these days. Some people like mm-hmm. use it to profit. I don't know. It's it's just, it's definitely in poor taste. And yeah. the woman who did it said, um, if I didn't do it, someone else would have. Or okay. you're just Good jealous excuse. you didn't think of it first. But yeah. I mean, I love true crime. I love anything yeah. disturbing kind of, but I would never, I don't think I would ever want to go to that. I would never want to go to that either. It's just disrespectful, I think. It's, yeah, yeah. Simply put, yes, disrespectful and bad taste and you're fucking cringy, so. So I guess I will talk about my sources here. Yeah, something we haven't done in a few episodes, I feel like. So my sources... The book Shake the Devil Off, A True Story of the Murder That Rocked New Orleans by Ethan Brown. Wouldn't recommend this book. It sounded like it from earlier. I think it was very long. Mm-hmm. There was a lot of war-related, army-related stuff. There was a lot of New Orleans-related stuff. It wasn't mm-hmm. so much about the crime. So there was a lot of, like... They needed me disassociating while listening. To this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a show which is amazing. I had never heard of the show. It's called Final Witness. Have mm, you heard of it? Mm, no. They had an episode about um, Zach and Addie, and it's called Graveyard Love. And it's the type of show where they do have actors reenacting everything, but it was really well done. Oh. The nice. actors actually look like the characters, which is insane. Um, but yeah, it was really well done. NOLA.com, which is a New Orleans news site, had a lot of information that I got. And Wikipedia, of course, for all of my Hurricane Katrina statistics. Mm-hmm. And I think that is about it. Nice. I had some sources on Jaron Lockhart. I think they were they all came from this the NOLA.com as well. But I do have a case update. I should have put this up front. The bones found in the mine that were thought to be Susan Powell's, they were confirmed to be animal bones, unfortunately. Oh, so but what about the pants? I don't know, man. I don't get it. Thank you for all your reviews on Spotify. <laughs> yeah, really. Thank you so much continue to follow us and and do whatever you can to support us we we are just doing this for funsies yep and fyi i'm about to start a new job yay so everyone's like how are you gonna keep up with the podcast like well i'm gonna try my best yeah we'll work it out man we'll do it we'll do it it's fine i still manage to edit sometimes when i'm working so (laughs) not while i'm working you're listening and you really like the podcast and you just want to give us that extra like that would be great Rate us on Spotify, rate us on Apple Podcasts. You can, I mean, if you don't want to write anything, just give us like five stars, man. You just push the five stars. That's all you got to do. It's not a big deal. It's not a big deal. We'll give you five dollars. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> no, we won't. <laughs> we'll give you five kisses. <laughs> <laughs> five bases. But yeah, follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. We have a Facebook page. Yeah. All that. Cool. 
Well, we hope you enjoyed this episode. <laughs> and try not to doom scroll too much about Ukraine. I know. That shit is sad. Farewell. Love you. Bye bye.